Hello there. How's the new normal treating you? Welcome to episode 13 of the Kevin Doherty podcast. My guest today is Jonathan Marcy. Marcy has been a guest on the podcast before, and today we had a really honest conversation about some difficult subjects, including the impact of George Floyd's murder, social change in Ireland, and homesickness. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would really appreciate it if you helped spread the word by recommending it to a friend or sharing it on your Instagram stories and tagging me at the Kevin Doherty podcast. As always, thanks for listening. How are you going on, Marcy? I'm good, man. Long time no chat. How are you doing? Yeah, not too bad, no. Um, in Ireland, I suppose, the, the lockdown is starting to ease and you can kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. It's, it's the end of June when things are going to really start getting back to normality. I have about one week left of freedom before I return to work, so I'm probably tr- going through the whole grieving process of anger, fear, depression, and then a little bit of like, ah, it's, it'll be grand to get back to a bit of normality as well, a bit of structure, getting out of bed before 2 p.m. and all that shit. What's it like over there? Yeah, it's kind of the same. Uh, it's I think on Friday just gone. Um, they actually opened up a bunch of bars and which was really weird. A bunch of bars and restaurants. The patios are now low, uh, open, but everything has to be socially distanced by about two meters. Um, we haven't risked it yet because obviously, just knowing humans, everyone flocked to a patio the, the minute it happened. Um, so they're all like overflowing right now, and there's queues around the corners for people just to get into a patio and have a drink. Patios are a big thing over there, aren't they? I suppose it's probably because you have that long winter and then you try to really appreciate the sunny months. 100%. Like it's what, winter? I think winter last year was about just under six months. So, and I, when I say winter, like, you know, several feet of snow, low minus 10 for maybe four of those months. Um, so the minute spring hits, and I'm talking about like, it's like six or seven degrees Celsius. They're like, patio's up. Let's, let's do it. Let's get the patios up and barbecues out. And it's just a bit mad. But um, the summers are class in Canada. That's, I will say, on the East Coast anyway, um, where they can just about get away with it. But yeah, they're mad for patios here, man. I do love a good patio, though. <laughs> uh, how many winters have you been over there now? I was just having a conversation with um, my, my girlfriend's dad the other day. I think I've done, I've done seven uh, winters now. Um, seven? Seven. She's in bed. Seven. Uh, and five, four, three, three were in Toronto, and then the other four in Ottawa. Um, Toronto's Batman, but like as you know, Ottawa's like it's just next level. It's only about four hours of a distance between them driving. Um, but because Ottawa's just a tiny bit more north again, it's you get probably maybe twice the amount of snow. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd say in Toronto, if it's minus 25 degrees, it's going to be minus 35 degrees in Ottawa. So it's always got a little bit extra, but they're, they're not that bad. Like there, there's a few things about them that are bad. There's three things that suck actually. One is the snow, two is the seasonal depression, which I joke about, but it's, it's like real, a serious man. thing. That is it's real. real. It, oh man, like when, when you're going into that last, when it hits me, is like when it's in March, right? And like you, you get like during the day, it's so sunny, it's like bright all the time, but there's still snow on the ground, mm. eh? Where it'll just snow again randomly. Like you think you're out of the woods. And then suddenly it just buckets down snow again. Um, and then the third one, man, is just like if you live in a city, it's hard to to make use of like the skiing and like all that. You know, people are like, oh, you can embrace the sports and stuff like that. And like, yeah, if you can get somewhere, man, <laughs> like yeah. driving in the snow is brutal. But I don't know. Have you ever have you ever experienced a winter like that or have you always always had your Irish winters? never man i've never spent an extended amount of time in a cold climate as in the the only thing that i can think of that comes to mind is when maybe two years ago there was a blizzard for about three or four days here and i was in this crack of oh you shouldn't watch the news you know the news is always negative and i just got surprised by a blizzard and didn't have any food (laughs) in the house and had to leave the car in the middle of a road and run back to the house so now i respect the elements even in ireland yeah, as you should. Yeah, <laughs> but like this is this is the most Irish thing I'm going to say in X-rays. It, it's still colder in Ireland. 
and I will believe that to the day I die. Um, like in in like December in Ireland, it's the kind of like cold that gets you in the bones. That's what everybody says. Yeah, you can't shake it. And I swear to God, in Canada, obviously so cold. But once you get your winter jacket on, your boots, your hat, which is actually that's the fourth reason it sucks. You have to just put so much shit on, even just to take out like the bins. Um, you're fine. Like you're like I've gone. I've literally watched like sports events. Like I watch Canadian football in the winter. And yeah. It's like minus ten. I've stood there for two hours, but because you've got your gear on, you're fine. But in Ireland, oh man, like down by the coast somewhere, oh, brutal. It's very strange in Ireland, actually, because like we have such a wet climate most of the time. But can you, you, I can't even count on one hand the amount of people that I know that actually own proper rain gear. Nobody, nobody yeah. cares about it. Everybody just goes, ah, it is what it is, and then complains about it. Like it's very, very strange here. That's actually such a fact. And I, I think I didn't own an umbrella until I was about 27. <laughs> <laughs> like, I never had an umbrella back home. Like, it would just, because you're always like, oh, sure, if I'm in town and it's raining, I'll just duck in somewhere. I, I always felt ridiculous carrying an umbrella around. It's like, who am I to keep myself dry in this weird fucking time? And then, like, if it gets too windy and it breaks, you just look like such a twat. Like, it's a, it's a weird thing. And then it's, like, such a pessimistic move as well to leave the house with an umbrella because you're like, something's going to go wrong, like. It's really weird as well. The first time I ever bought an umbrella was in uh, Tokyo and Japan. And within 10 minutes, it was robbed. There's a real culture of robbing umbrellas in Tokyo. Like you leave it at the front of any store you go into and this big, big rack. And then you come out and you're like, where the fuck is my one? Everybody just goes, people are going to rob mine. So I rob theirs. So it's this nearly understood thing. Very strange. And did you you rob one back then? Within seconds. Within seconds. Once I got over the the embarrassment of having mine robbed, I I was a thief. Part of the problem, Kev. <laughs> there you go. Like you're you're part of that vicious cycle. But it's it's mad though here as well. Like the I was the same with winter boots. Like I'd say almost the first maybe two winters here, I refused to get winter boots. There was the dumbest thing because they're about like in euros. They're about like three hundred, four hundred euro, right, for a real decent pair of them, and they last maybe two winters because of all the salt and stuff that spread it. Yeah, which is mad, right? So it's just complete waste of money. Um, so for the first two winters, they'd be like, feet of snow outside, minus 40, and I'm walking around a pair of Adidas. Just so, <laughs> so, so stubborn. Um, but then when I finally invested in it, it's just an absolute game changer. Such a game changer. But then look outside today, it's it's 28 degrees today. Like, yeah. Beautiful out. We were texting a little bit earlier about uh, Dave Chappelle dropping that special, 846. What did you think? I, I the man's a genius. Like, I, I think he's, it was, it was almost, it was funny, but I don't think, I don't think it was designed to really be funny. It was mm. more of a, it was like a history lesson. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, and I just love the fact it was free. He dropped on YouTube. There's so many things to it that I was just like, I, I love the approach. I think it's great. Um, and it was weird because I, I've been off social media now for something like I don't know, isn't even want to actually have no idea what today's date is today is the geez, June 14th so I've been off for two weeks so I didn't even know it was released yes. so I hadn't been on the internet or anything at all so it was like such a surprise to see it, uh, it on YouTube but what, what did you think of it because you watched it last night did you or the weekend I watched it again this morning like it, it, it's not something that you watch and you think oh that's absolutely hilarious it's more kind of just brilliant social commentary on what's going on in the states and kind of the wider picture of it um one really uh weird thing that i looked into in the last week or so is uh this this is i don't know we we haven't really discussed this but basically the movement of african slaves throughout the world right so the u.s over a period of time got about four hundred thousand slaves brazil got four million yeah oh wow okay that that in term in terms of context, like it was just it was such a shocking number when you see what went to America over a shorter period of time, and it never seems to get brought up that Brazil has one of the biggest darkest histories of slavery ever. It's very very strange. I know next to nothing about Brazil except you know I know our friend uh, James is living there right now who actually messaged me about the podcast yesterday. Funny enough, um, uh, what. What's it like in Brazil today? Is it like, is it a particularly racist country? Is it like when, I suppose, when was slavery abolished in Brazil or do you know? 
Um, I think around the same decade as it was in the States. So like late, late 1880s, something like that. But uh, the the strange thing with Brazil, I suppose, if you're looking at it today, the people who are still in power are probably still uh, like a minority of white people. Um, Brazil had a different type of colonization in a way because, again, this is just from one documentary that I watched there last week. I think it was called brazil and inconvenient history so they had a different type of approach to what they did in america um the portuguese colonizing they didn't bring their families over it was just men who went over there so there was much more of a policy of they have to make as much portuguese children as possible and they did that through any means necessary um and i suppose that's why when you look at brazil today there's more racial integration if that makes sense in terms of the way people look it would have been kind of a different approach to other countries who have looked at slavery where there was more of a racial segmentation and kind of like a hierarchy where they tried to keep the groups apart and one really interesting thing that i thought i thought was fascinating was that in brazil because they experienced um an influx of african slaves for a longer period of time the the africans kept their cultural identity from africa so if you look at brazil today there is a lot of african religion african dance and it's kind of part of the bigger tapestry of the country whereas um african slaves that went to the u.s it was a shorter period of time. So they essentially got cut off from African culture much, much quicker, if that makes sense. And that's why they nearly have their own unique identity in the States. The number is wild. Isn't it? Four million compared to four. Uh, that, that, uh, that really blows my mind. That really, really does. Makes se- I, yeah, so what you said just makes sense as well. Because I even think about my head, obviously, goes to football first, but any bit of history and context. Yeah. And I was just thinking like s- Samba football. There's a very kind of African vibe off of that. And like the, the teams are very, very similar in that regard. But man, like uh, it's really weird living in North America right now. I just know what it's mm. like in, in, in Ireland, particularly Europe, but uh, like literally the weekend just gone. Um, you know, there was a, a chief, uh, a First Nations chief who was shot, shot dead by the RCMP, who are the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. Uh, just to dispel a myth for any Irish listeners there, the RCMP, they are Mounties, yes, but they're not really on horses or that kind of, you know, the stereotypical, the red uniform. Um, they're just like armed police, I guess. They're more kind of national than anything else. I'd say they're closer to the likes of the state troopers in the US. Like they're actually, uh, yeah. do not fuck with them. Like Great. Yes, that's a, that's a great, yeah, because most of them are ex-military. They're tough folks. But then that, what makes them, you know, again, the comparison to the American side, they seem to be pretty trigger happy or just that kind of, gun-toting kind of person um, oh i'm not trying to blanket an entire yeah. uh, uh, police force there but um yeah they sh- there was a i can't remember his name but he was a chief um he was unarmed uh, no priors nothing like that at all and he was shot dead um and then uh, only very very recently uh, there was a case of mistaken identity as well i think it was in toronto and i might be wrong here um where they shot a, a black woman in her bed because they thought she was someone else they broke into her house and, and shot her in her bed so like it's weird. And then, like, obviously, all the, the George Floyd, I think it's, it's, that's mm. the name that the, the craziness is happening with him. Like, there was a march in Ottawa two weeks, two weekends ago, I think. Um, I didn't go, and I probably should have, but I was still kind of a bit worried about COVID, to be very, very honest. So I, I didn't want to kind of go down with, like, thousands and thousands of people. But scary time to be here, man. It's like, it just seems to be making the news almost every day. Now, obviously, more so in the States than Canada, but it, like, is... Has there been protests in Ireland or marches or anything? Or what's it, what's it like there? Yeah, it seems like a lot of counties are having certain protests in certain areas uh, in alignment with Black Lives Matter. Again, I, I kind of have detached a little bit from the news in the last week or so. Because like 2020, just it seems to be getting more intense and more intense and more intense. And we're only halfway through the year. So it's I, I try to like dip in every couple of days keep a little bit informed but um again i i haven't done anything in terms of leaving the house or looking to meet up with mass groups of people because 
I suppose you're probably in a similar boat where it's like we've been told to do one thing for months and it's stay away from people just just look after your personal health and try not to get into these big social gatherings and then when something like a a spark is lit with the the murder of George Floyd everything changes in terms of the advice is still there but everybody's going against the advice in the name of a good cause but then you kind of have to take a step back and it's like what what's actually happening and what are the ramifications of these types of protests because in my mind it's it's a fantastic thing to do and and like especially in the US it is a country that's had a very dark history with racial segregation and racial abuse racial violence like there's i've watched some fascinating documentaries about it but i only know about it from living there for a few years and then watching the media from afar there's a lot of bad stuff going on but it's there's still a big issue with the idea of wave two of coronavirus like i was looking at the news just before we started today and beijing have started locking down again because they've seen clusters i don't think it's a widespread lockdown but in my mind, probably for the last couple of weeks, I've just been apathetic towards the whole coronavirus thing. I was like, fuck this. This is just bullshit. Why are we still locked up? But that, it's a weird thing where I'm at the point where I'm sick of it, but we could get hit by wave two in the next two or three months as well. It's, it's all unknown. It's, it's just such a weird, weird time for everything. Yeah, that that was that was very well put, man. Um, and going back to the idea of you know, yeah, it is definitely a great cause, a hundred percent. What happens is terrible. The protests are an amazing way to to let a lot of governments or a lot of other bodies know that it's an awful thing that that can't happen. Um, but like you, I, I was like, you know, Corona has you know in Canada, so in Canada we are now trending downwards, like we know that, but. Mm-hmm. It, people are still dying almost every day from it. And there's still new cases almost every day as well. Um, they had some interesting stuff they were doing for the march to try and help it. But again, it just shows you, kind of like the umbrellas, man. Um, they left out masks for people. So it was ho- like hundreds and hundreds of masks. Mm-hmm. Um, people were taking six or seven at a time. Because it, it, it was it's pretty hard to get a mask in Canada right now, uh, particularly a medical mask. Um, you know, you're waiting like six, seven weeks for them to be delivered. Yeah. So apparently there was people who were just stuffing their pockets full of masks and then not even going to the protest, right? So you're just kind of like, ah, oh, God, give them an inch to take a while. Um, and then another idea they had was there was no chanting allowed or no singing. Um, so instead, people were encouraged to bring like instruments or drums and stuff. So there'd be less kind of uh, water vapor being sprayed out of people's mouths into the air. Um, yeah. to kind of, I don't know how effective that is, right? Obviously, everyone still chanted. So and I think in, in Ottawa, I'm not sure the exact number, but I think it was about four or four and a half thousand people turned up. It's a lot of people anyway. Yeah. Um, but they're waiting now. So that was almost two weeks ago. They're waiting now to see if there's going to be a spike and see if that's going to happen, which I'm guessing there will be because it still exists. So. Yeah. And then as well, it's kind of like in some places, it seems to have calmed down in the States now from what I've seen in terms of like actual looting the looting seems to have been reduced but everything that happened especially within the first couple of weeks after george floyd it's very understandable because of like nearly the perfect storm that's been created through mass unemployment everybody being locked down nothing to do i think everybody being just sick and tired of coronavirus news as well and then when it's so crazy that like a 17 year old girl posts that on some social media channel and then it just changes the world in this bizarre butterfly effect that nobody could predict and it's it's really weird to think like why why does one particular incident unite everybody in a way that other incidents haven't it's really really strange that's a good point because you know, is is it because that video itself was so shocking? Because there's been loads of videos, sadly, over the last like 18 months of, you know, unarmed black men in particular being shot by white police officers. 
Um, like I think, it, I think it happened in Atlanta this year on Friday or Saturday as well. So it just happens all the time. Um, I think it. I think honestly, man, a lot of what you just said is why it, it really took off. Um, but like you know, I've sadly seen that video. I wish I hadn't in many ways, but um, it's. I think it's because of the nature of it. It's it's a be- and it's such a shocking thing to watch. Like someone who's actually begging for their life, and there's a police officer, someone who you would think, you know, who probably knows first aid, who you know is one of the first people that I've seen of an accident to help save people. Mm. It's doing the exact opposite thing. Um, but I agree with you. I think that, I think because of the quarantine, unemployment is skyrocketing. You know, Donald Trump is basically a crazed lunatic leading the country into a you know absolute car crash so i think all of that yeah i think the match was kind of already lit wasn't it and it just that just but it was crazy like the video within like 48 hours of the video that was looting yeah. it was just it, it things got just so intense so so quickly um but yeah i think yeah i think things have died down there in the states for sure but i think as well like it's important to kind of differentiate between maybe the three things that were going on at the same time so there was peaceful protests there was rioting and then there was looting at the same time and while there might have been a small cross-section of protesters and looters essentially to me they look like different groups one one looks more opportunistic everything is going to shit let's get what we can whereas the protesting and the rioting together are kind of what has brought this into the cultural zeitgeist in a way because if you look back even over the last two or three years there's been a huge amount of peaceful protests but you never hear of peaceful protests yeah they get done they get their permit probably the state officials get time to nearly voice their narrative or to at least be able to defend what is going on whereas with something like rioting when something just bursts into life like that and property starts to get destroyed people take notice in a way that you wouldn't if everything was peaceful so it's kind of like you can't commend the rioting but you can understand that it was part of why this is something that's kind of moved the needle or at least made people start to think and even adding on to that media like the media aren't going to report on a peaceful protest. It's just not interesting news. It's not exciting. As you said, it just happens all the time. Like the one in Ottawa was peaceful. And there was a handful of articles in like local papers and the local news station. But that was it. Yeah. Um, the minute there's violence or anything, it's like, I don't use the word exciting, but inflammatory maybe is a better word. They, they're going to dr- like it. They're going to drag it, drag it out. You know what I mean? Like if it bleeds, it leads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I was thinking of, uh fox news in particular they had 24 7 coverage of the riots just non-stop so you can turn on fox literally at like 5 a.m in the morning and they still had people on the ground tracking looting rioting all this kind of stuff and it's like man it's just it's give it a break like you know what i mean like the the, the more airtime you give them the worst but i do think you're right though i think the quarantine in a way has a lot to do with it i think people were just agitated aggravated and just have nothing else to do but I agree as well. It's definitely three different groups. You so many, but then I don't know if you saw this. I'm even trying to avoid the news. There's some of the the police brutality, even just for the the peaceful protests, was bizarre. I I was kind of thinking this is a great opportunity for the police to kind of you know really only in the states here, but for them to kind of I suppose try and kind of connect with people a bit, as opposed to just again reinforce this idea of a military state. Yeah, and like I saw, there was a, a news reporter for CNN. She lost her eye on the third day of the the riots. Uh, she was hit with a rubber bullet. And I'm like, man, that that's that's the kind of stuff we'd see in you know other countries in the world, and you're, you you'd never expect it to be in, in, in kind of the Western world. Which, you know, it sounds terrible, but again, it's probably the media again kind of pushing that image. But I don't know, man, it's they're they're close to civil war over there. I think it it's I think it's been something that's been bubbling for decades, man. It's it's just this is the perfect storm of stuff coming together it's like whenever i visit america i love it like i I, i've had such amazing experiences in america it's one of my favorite places but especially the last time i visited i was just a bit more mindful of like it's a divided society like there's very clear haves and have-nots over there and 
it just takes some some small incident some tragic incident to just spark it to life and it's hard to see where it'll stop as well because like let's say if the police secede control of certain places then you have like random things popping up like uh i saw seattle like downtown seattle has been seized in this area that they're calling Chaz. Uh, something like that. It's Antifa who did it. Yeah, Antifa are the, the folks who've taken it over. Right. Uh, I can't remember what Antifa stands for. Anti-fascists? Yes, anti-fascists. Yeah, yeah, it is. The anti-fascists basically who are uh, being fascists in, in, what, in, what, in their approach to what they're doing, basically. But that's a different conversation. But um, yeah, the idea is that you there's six blocks in Seattle where uh, currency means nothing. Um, there's no stores open, there's no shops, there's no police allowed. Um, there's a whole bunch of weird stuff going on there. I just don't think it's a... I think as well, it's like, if something like that crops up, whatever the intentions are, this will be replicated in different cities unless they take action. And it could be alarming, drastic action to shut this down, to send a message. So it's it's one of those weird things where it's like, it seems like, in a sense, the the American government is nearly being goaded or taunted into, we've went that step further now. Now it's up to you to either shut us down or accept this, essentially like a new country within the States or a new commune. So it's like, I'm, I'm just a little bit terrified of, I suppose, the man at the top there who's making the decision to release the military. Nobody really knows what it's going to look like in the next month or so. So it's... It's just such weird times, man. It's like, and as well, like you're kind of, I'm excited because it's like coming to the end of lockdown, I'm back to work in about a month. Things will start to get back to normal. Maybe in a few months I'll be able to go surfing. But then the world is just slowly going bonkers. It's just so, so different than it was in January. It, there, I, uh, I was interviewing a guy last week uh, who lives in Los Angeles. He's uh, one of the reasons he applied to the company I work at is so he can move to, to Canada. That's like a big thing for him and his family. He's like two really young kids. And I was trying to go, how is it in the States right now? Just kind of really creating a bit of chit-chat before we kind of go into the interview. And he's like, man, the world is literally on fire right now. He's like, it just feels like everywhere you look, there's something that just shocks you or that we've just never experienced before. And that like everything is just kind of teetering on the edge. But then the weird thing is that when that's kind of happening, I think humans in a lot of way you kind of you, you kind of go back a bit into yourself or kind of narrow your focus it's like yourself you're not watching the news i'm off social media not watching the news as well because i if i did try to take in everything that was out there you'd go mad yeah you'd, or it would really really affect you in a, in a kind of a you know it's such a negative depressive kind of way but um he was like saying that you know la in particular because of say the la riots watch where like what they did early 90s was it rodney king i think it was yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Just running. Yeah. OJ. Um, what a great documentary that was. Um, but yeah. But he he says because he's like he says he remembers them. And it's like it's just he says it feels different now. He's like you know the LA riots felt like they were very localized to just LA. There was other protests around the country and stuff like that. But he says this time it felt like the entire country was rioting and looting, and that everyone was protesting all over the country. So, but yeah, I don't know, man. I. It, it is going to be absolutely fascinating to see where the world is at in 12 months. That's it. That's that's the excitement of it as well, where you're like, what else will change? What, like, even like if, if we're talking about like when things get back to normality, it's not getting back to what we were in just before Christmas. Like that world is essentially gone. It's so weird to be in a time where... In the history books in 50 years, we're living through one of the strangest times. It's just, it's just so it's so hard to quantify how unusual and bizarre and explosive this time is. And like how change does seem possible in a sense because the world has stopped. Because I never thought that the world could stop. Like literally shut down for business and then we can at least have a chat about do we want to continue along this same path? It's it's just it's it's pretty wild, like. And but on the other side of it, I'm kind of like, I'm, and this is removed now the whole uh, George Floyd and kind of racism mm. uh, in the states. But when you kind of just look at the quarantine and 
you know, uh, COVID. I'm still a little bit impressed with how a lot of the world has taken it. You know, it's been crazy. It's been mad. But you're right. The whole world came to a standstill, like airports empty. Uh, yeah. Stores and businesses, thousands and millions of closing around all over the world. People haven't kind of gone as mad as I thought they would. And they've actually been much better at following the guidelines than I thought they would as well. Um, maybe not everywhere in the world, but like a lot of places have been really, really good. Ireland especially seems to have been very, very uh cooperative with what the government put in place i think i think one of the main reasons was that just we experienced spectacular weather for like the three months we were locked down like it was unbelievable man i was like thank god i had a balcony because at least you could get it in the evening it's like i think if we had irish weather or at least typical irish weather for march april and june there would have been a lot more social unrest over here I, i fully believe that I think that was a big, big factor in why everybody was just chilled out. A really good point, man. And I, that's why I'm really praying to God this is gone by the winter, or at least, as you said, things look a bit more normal. Um, mm. I think they will be. Um, but it's it's funny when you kind of talk about, you know, the world is going to look different now. I I wonder, will, will it be different forever? Or will we at one point revert back to the way things were? Like, say, for example, if a vaccine does pop up, because I, I was reading this morning, Beijing apparently in particular thinks they'll have a vaccine by the end of the year, hmm. which there was no sources in, in yeah, the article yeah. at all, or any real proof. China says. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> Great. Steph, let's go. We're <laughs> under the bar. Um, uh, uh, so I do wonder, like, you know, maybe we will. Maybe there will be a vaccine. Maybe it'll be something, it'll be a disease that we do. We, we do eradicate completely and we can kind of go back to it. But you're right. The idea is that any other disease that could suddenly pop up will always be in the back of our minds. Like yeah. so what, what's the next thing now? What's after COVID-19? You know what I mean? But yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's also so funny to see that it, how it, it's just, it's all people talk about. I know it's ironic that we're talking about it now, but it, it's just, and even though we've all talked about it so much, spent hours and hours talking about it, I still can't really understand it. No. I can't get a grip around how big a life-changing, life-changing and world-changing event it's been. It's really mad. Um, one quick point as well, just going back to the, the protests in Ireland. I think it would be really interesting if Ireland took a look at themselves and not even with just like racism against black people. It's like the idea of us kind of putting ourselves on this higher plateau that we're not a bigoted country or we're not a a prejudiced country, but like we operate a system of direct provision, which is inhumane in a lot of ways. And then another thing that never gets talked about in Irish society is how people just are openly able to shit on members of the traveling community. It's one of the weirdest things in Ireland where it just seems to be the one group where it's socially acceptable to say something completely off color in a group and nobody will turn around and go here. Why'd you say that about the travelers? Like what, what was that? What, what do you mean? Like even I have, I have one of the, the best examples of that. So, um, imagine this, like this time last year, I like, I'm not, I'm not religious, but my mother is very, very religious. So, Together, the two of us went up to this pilgrimage in Loch Derg, um, in Donegal. So we're on a we're on a little island, Illin Lake, and for three days, all you're doing is walking around, not eating and praying. So it's very, very fundamentalist religion stuff. And in that group of maybe 200, uh, 200 older Irish people, maybe the the average age was about anywhere from 50 to 70, even older. There was uh, three English travelers who were overdoing it. And as soon as one of the groups got together, the first comment I heard was, they pray loud, don't they? <laughs> so Irish. I shouldn't laugh. That's such an Irish thing. I just couldn't believe it. Like in, especially in that space, like a place where you'd imagine everybody is accepted and everybody's doing their bit. And at least everybody who's come there has come there for different reasons for, but for the same kind of collective belief in a God and it's still okay to shit on travelers. 
they, they, and you know for a fact they would have found anything to have complained about. Do you know what I mean? It, it was like I guarantee you they weren't praying any differently than anyone else there at all. But because just their presence alone, um, oh man, I stopped. Like it's. I remember in in university. I think it was university. I think I think you did as well. I did a module on uh, travelers and their history. Uh, you know, in the country and how they came to be where they are today and all that. And it was very, very eye-opening and, and all that. But I remember thinking that it was a really short module. Like there, we didn't go that deep into it. We didn't talk that much about it. There wasn't very much kind of recorded history about them either. And it felt like the way the professor was kind of teaching, I can't remember his name now, but I think you had him as well. It felt like it was kind of a, we're kind of doing this because we kind of have to. But I don't think we want to do it. And I, I was really disappointed at that. Um, when I used to work in HMV, uh, they, they used to be used to come in almost every day. There used to be three or four travelers who lived locally um, that would always pop in, um, and they couldn't read. So what would usually happen is they'd bring a CD up and, you know, whatever, and I'd read out the back of the CD to them. Um, you, I got to know them. Like, they're incredibly nice people. Like, mm. Do you know what I mean? And it's just, we seem to be so quick to make very blanket statements about them as well that you wouldn't make about any other areas of society. Like, oh, like what, here's one I, I'll give you, right? This is, um, again, I won't say their name. There's a friend of mine's dad um, always used to say this when driving through town. If he saw a Range Rover with orange or yellow plates on it, he was like, I bet you it's a traveler car. And I'm like, oh, yeah. So what? Like, yeah. he was like, you know, now, you know, now they steal, he, he said, they'd steal those now and they drive them into Belfast and they bring them down here, not even insured or licensed. Like, you don't fucking know that. Where are you? Like, you're just, you're pulling that out of your arse completely. It's such a weird thing with people as well, though. Like, we, we're constantly trying to separate ourselves into groups, whether we know it or not. It's like, you're either the in group or the other. And it's, it's a very, very strange thing. One thing that I actually, I remember from that module that I really found fascinating was, and it kind of explained a little bit more why maybe some travelers find the education system quite difficult. Um, apparently, in a, in a traveler family, it's, there's kind of like a, a sense of egalitarianism in terms of everybody can have an opinion and nobody talks down to other people. Maybe the parents are able to give direction to the, the children, but the children aren't necessarily lower down on the pecking order. And when they come into like a national school or a secondary school, the idea of a teacher, somebody outside the family unit telling you what to do all day, like an, an, author, an authoritarian figure telling you what to do and saying, you have to study this for 40 minutes, you have to go here and have lunch for 40 minutes. That's not something that they accept. And that's why there's a lot of conflict with our way of educating people versus their life. Uh, we don't want to open up the can of worms now and talk about the Irish educational system. That, that, that's you've, stories I've heard even from your other podcasts about you doing history about five times a week. <laughs> we'll, 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 add, we'll add to that. Um, but man, it's it's even that. Like I think it's the way they're depicted a lot. As well. again, back to media, like or you know, TV shows and and movies. Like what was that TV show called? My beat, my big fat Greek wedding or a Greek gypsy wedding. Painted them in a terrible light. Yeah. You know I mean, it was almost like they made like a mockumentary almost where it was like every question they asked, every uh, scene was a spoof on them and trying to, you know, trying to get the best value for TV. Yeah. That's awful, man. But like, it's weird. Like, that, that's actually one area, man, where back, back when I was living in Ireland, I never really heard any people speak out about that. I mean, I'm even surprised you, you kind of brought it up because it's not something that, that seems to be top of the mind for anyone in, in Ireland at all. Um, and it's it's a good point. So I wonder, will that ever change? That, that's what I'm just a little bit optimistic about because the idea of social change has spread to Ireland from the death of George Floyd. And you are seeing protests in different counties, which is really, really encouraging. I just hope that I suppose Ireland's wider society can maybe take a look at themselves and go, maybe we aren't so perfect maybe we can do work internally before we seek to, to change the lives of people in different countries as well. Maybe we can just take a look at our system and see what's right about w what we're doing and what we can potentially do better. I, it's nice to hear you're optimistic. I, I don't know if I am. I, Ireland is such a 
can be. I am. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about decades gone, but mm. such a traditional country, such an, a country that's, that's so late to the party in so many different areas of social change. Um, Ireland is. I would consider Ireland a fairly racist country. I, I, I think growing up, you know, most of the people I knew, whether you know, friends, parents, whatever. Would wouldn't be outwardly racist, but exact, but wouldn't stop people if they were making comments that were negative about other groups, like like you just kind of mentioned around the traveling community. Like another great example is back in like the early two thousands when there was a fairly large influx of, I'll say, Polish immigrants uh, into the country. Um, people were blatantly racist about Polish people. Like I remember watching, you know, what was it? I can't really show that Pat Kenny said when they they, they like Frontline or something that was called. Um, he had people on there to talk about that, and three of the Polish people there, um, two were doctors, and one was a lawyer, I think. Um, and he, they were trying to de- debunk the myth that basically Polish people came over here and took all the lower minimum wage jobs that Irish people didn't want to take. And so that's instantly how we viewed them. I, that, and like, but again, man, just like the driving community, it was okay to say things about them. Like you could say, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but you could say disparaging comments about Polish people, and people wouldn't. I wouldn't hear people corrected about it at the time. Yeah, it's it's always it's always a thing. It's like the initial wave of fear takes hold of people. And it's like the unknown of a new group coming to your land that's doing well. And then it's just it's that weird thing where it's it's such cognitive dissonance where it's like Ireland. The only reason there's such a wide Irish diaspora in the world is because other places accepted us in maybe they didn't accept us everywhere with open fucking arms but america was a place that you could go you could go labor in england there there were options to leave when we had nothing less than 150 years ago or even if you look at the last fucking recession like i always seem to like go way back and go we've we've always had this bad past but we had an economic downturn 10 years ago and nobody was turning their nose up at the fact that we could go to Canada or we could go to Australia to try and make our lives better and maybe make our lives better for our children so that we can give them a little bit more because that seems to be a lot what what people want to do and I suppose going back to the the influx of Polish people what I found after about five years or ten years once people actually started to know individual Polish people and to even realize that their humor is so similar to ours that then people started to realize they're just fucking people. Like they're just people trying yeah. to make a better life for themselves after being under like communist oppression for a long, long time and the Eastern Soviet bloc. And they're doing what we did back in the day. It's everybody has such a short, I suppose, memory span when it comes to what we've went through. And then if you get to a high point, it's like, you want to protect what you have whereas like nobody everybody looks at it as a zero-sum game if that fella has something that means that i don't have it whereas there was enough to go around 100 percent, 100 percent. well that's the idea they, they took our jobs right no they didn't we, irish people weren't going into minimum wage jobs because we again we thought we were better higher and mighty than that but there's there's two great stories i, I love telling um one this is about like five years ago me and, uh, and my partner we uh were at like a I think they're called book banks here uh, or in, in Toronto where basically they're all around the city and you take a book and put a book back and it's free and they're just like literally in the streets um they're really awesome we, we got a really old history book from uh, I think it was 1910 oh, wow. and it was the history of the world from 1910 it was battered and I still we still have it somewhere around the house um but like oh man it, it, it was first thing it was fascinating but boy was that a racist book like the the wording it and the language in it but the, the the first line about Ireland, maybe like Irish people, was so so funny. It was like Ireland, uh, you know, currently, literally, currently occupied by England, all this kind of stuff. Um, Ireland is is the most depressed and socially repressed country in Europe, other than Poland. It was just oh, like that last line. Other than Poland, I was like, oh man, I can't wait to go to Poland. So we went to Poland in the book. <laughs> Poland is most socially, like most depressed and socially repressed country in Europe, even more so than Ireland. As if back in 1910, if you were reading a book, you'd be like, oh, it couldn't be worse than Ireland, is it? Oh my God, it is. I don't know if you remember this man, but the, the nicest Polish person I ever met. Um, uh, do you remember Ziggy? I remember the name. Yeah, so I think it was when we used to play football for well, the Munger Reason or what. I think, I think you were there as well. There was a guy called Ziggy who used to play. He's a winger. 
and he used to be he used to smoke cigarettes at half. Yeah, that's what I was thinking there. I was like, was he like a voracious smoker? Yeah, he was. Yeah, and he had he had like three phrases, and it was Ziggy pass, Ziggy shoot, and Ziggy score. Like that that's all the words you'd ever heard him say. So he'd be like and he would always say his own name uh before anything was like, like Ziggy Pass, Ziggy Pass. And he would pass him the ball. But he was man, he was unbelievable. And he was so fit for a man who absolutely smoked forty John Player a day. Yeah, yeah. Like, hands down, like. Oh, but yeah, God. it's I don't know, man. Ireland long way to go. Very, very long way to go. In the last couple of weeks, particularly this week, man, I don't know, like for me, even though Limerick is only two hours down the road by a car i've gotten a lot of fucking like weird homesickness this week where it's just hit me and it's like it's literally down the road and i'll be down there by the end of june but it's like it's just such a weird like i i think that's what it was in a way you know what i mean where i'm just like what why am i feeling this just absolute longing to get back down to limerick like would you ever experience that when you're over there in a different sense because it's not like I only experienced it probably for about 24 hours where I just, I was down and I was just like, I think going home would help me a lot. That must be something that people living abroad from Ireland. It's just a constant theme of your life, is it? Yeah. It's a constant theme. It's, it comes in, in waves, hundred percent. And it's, it's very much, it can be very difficult to deal with and it can be kind of very, it can kind of be it can be overwhelming, so you have to be careful with it uh, at times. Um, I know you've talked about this before, and it, it's it, it's the one thing about it that, that that is also kind of crazy. Coming home is always great. Like it, even if I end up doing nothing for a couple of weeks, or the weather's crap, or last time I was home, I was you know I had like a stomach bug for a few days. Didn't matter. I was still at home, so I was still absolutely just jazzed about it. But the longer I'm, cause I'm gone away now, like oh, six and a half years. You know, I thought I'd be gone two years max. I think I think when I hit ten years, then it might really kind of start to really kind of get to me. Um, there's a lot of pressure coming home now. There's a lot of pressure to kind of do everything, see everyone. You know, uh, make sure I get a point with this lad, a point with that lad, and be an amazing form for everybody because it's like, oh, you yeah. don't you yeah. don't want to give the illusion that you're in bad form. So you, like you want you want to see pe- you're you want people to see you enjoying yourself in a weird way, not in a false way, but like if you have a yeah. bad interaction with somebody that you haven't seen in years, it'll fuck with you like for the next couple of months. You're like, oh, Jesus, I left that in bad terms. A hundred percent. That's a very good way of putting it. And like, so yeah, you, you do kind of, and then you also don't want to be seen like you're too happy over in Canada as well. I get that. That's the vibe I get off people a lot. Like they're like, oh, geez, you must miss home. No, you must be dying to come back. Aren't you? And like, sometimes I am mm. and sometimes I'm not um but like i will say it's around the times you'd expect where it gets bad right like you know christmas time is tough christmas meant a lot to me and my family we'd all get together so that's tough missing birthdays is is always kind of shitty like you can jump on a video call or you know i'll, I'll call my mum or whatever and have a chat with my dad but it's not the same as being there with them and then there's you know smaller things like you know you know i'm, I'm guessing it must be tough for for my parents not to be able to come over and you know maybe look at like you know i bought a house a year ago wouldn't they love to come over and hang out and have my dad help me do stuff around the house or that kind of stuff that stuff is tough um a hundred percent but like and i think i've told you this before as well you you do like i'm probably have a better relationship with my parents now than i did before i left which is a weird thing right so i talk, I talk to my mother almost every day like via whatsapp or whatever so i keep in great touch with her um, same with my dad who physically cannot use any form of technology I can say that knowing he'll never be able to know how to listen to, listen to this <laughs> ever unless it's, not, unless it's not like a fucking vinyl or something um, so but you and then there's like the, the more extreme version of it um, and I'll tell you this story like this is super I don't think it's super depressing like that, but um, I remember back in, when I, I'd been gone six months I think it was yeah, at the end of 2014 um, and my grandmother died I wasn't particularly close to her. Um, she, straight up, she wasn't one of the nicest people to ever exist on the planet. She was, you know, had a lot of grudges and bitterness. Um, but I got that, that which you hear people talk about, I got that dreaded missed call at like 4.30 a.m., right? So it was a five-hour time difference. So my mom obviously called me at 9.30 in the morning, or my dad did. But I got a missed call at 4 a.m. in the morning. And so I remember very vividly waking up, looking over my phone, um, 
I had one missed call and I had four messages from my mum saying, please call us and can, you know, give me a message. And you just instantly, you think the absolute worst. Yeah. You just act like your mind goes to it. I remember just being like, I, remember, I hadn't even gone that long. So, because, you know, for, you, you probably went to the States, the same thing, right? For the first year you move away, you live off the adrenaline of being in a new country with like new and exciting things and exciting people. So you don't, it sounds shitty. You don't think about home very often. It's when you kind of, you, when you start to kind of put down roots, you do. Um, I was, ter- I was terrified, did not want to call back home. I was just like walking around the house and I was saying, Steph, I was like, what happens to my dad? Like, she's like, oh, your mom would, oh, like, you, you have a hundred missed calls. I was like, what does that mean? Do you mean it's like someone of lesser importance? Like, is the dog, is the cat <laughs> trying to read into it? Um, you know, whatever. Um, and then, of course, I, I call back and my dad feels the phone and he's like, hello. I was like, Dad, it's me. Like, what's up? And he goes, Ash, your grandmother's after going off and dying, isn't she? Which is so, so annoying. <laughs> this is such an inconvenience. Man just, man just never got on with her at all. Hope he doesn't mind me saying that. But uh, it was just so funny. He was just like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, should I come home? He goes, don't you fucking dare come home. What would you come home for? And I was like, with the funeral? He goes, absolutely not. You've only been gone a minute. I was like, God, but but man, it's that that is something you do like you think of. Like, you know, like I, I stayed in touch with you, not as much as I'd like to either. You know, I'd love if we were we were able to hang out more often. Um and then there's there is people, there's friends in my life now who geez, like there's some people I haven't talked to in six years. That like since I've left, I haven't there's uh, I I won't say his name, but there there's one lad now who I actually who I hung out with the day I left and been hanging out with a bunch almost every other day at the time. Um, I haven't seen to or spoke to him at all since I left, which is really, and I only thought, I thought him the other day and I was like, I actually, cause he's on social media and he, like, he wants to change his phone or something, or just is like delighted to get rid of me. But I have no idea where he is like or what he's doing. And that's weird. But like, but your, yeah, to your, to your original question. Yeah. You get homesick a lot, but it, it, it comes in, comes in stages right yeah it comes in waves and it's like it's probably as well it's like when you're in it it feels like eternity but when you're past it when you have like a week's distance from that kind of thought pattern it seems like a much smaller thing when you're in it though it can unless you can pull yourself out of that negative cycle and like again the only reason i brought it up is because i got a little pang of wanting to go home after three or four months and it just kind of made me think, fuck it, there's so many lads who live away and when they get that feeling, they can't just hop in the car. You know what I mean? Yeah, dude, 100%. It's, um, it, it usually hits me the worst, I'd say, on the plane back to Canada because then you're like, because it's, you know, it's a seven-hour flight, it's expensive, it's a big trip, the time difference, all that kind of stuff, blah, blah, blah. Um, so when you're in the plane going back to Canada, it's very fine. Like, you know you're not going to be able to pop might pop back again next week you know that's just not an option you're, you're now gone probably for a minimum of a year um but like i, I will say one thing my, i know my parents miss me and i'm sure they expect me to come home sunday which i will someday not sunday i said someday <laughs> because my i was listening freaking out um I, you know i do I, i'll be back someday but my parents are, have been very good they like they know things are going pretty well for us here we're enjoying life a lot um we have stephanie's family that which is a, has been a huge That's plus. Uh, when, yeah, when we were in Toronto, we didn't have her family or my family, and we didn't have a car. It's a five-hour drive, which again is brutal. Um, so having her family nearby is an absolute game changer as well. Um, but then my parents, you know, my brother's also in Sweden. He's also away, so they're 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 pretty used to it. I think they I think they're they're okay with it at this stage. It is weird how like. In your early 20s, you kind of think, oh, fuck it, I'm going to go out alone. I'm going to go out and explore the big bad world. And as you get kind of closer to your 30s, you, you just nearly intrinsically appreciate family more. You, you appreciate those early ties a lot more because they're so different than anything else you experience in life. And you, you made those ties, like obviously with your family, but with like early friends when you were kind of at your most formative you know what i mean you shared formative experiences with them and you're the person you are today probably because you came in contact with them or at least you kind of cross-pollinated ideas and stuff like that there's this and i quote the lamest thing ever but i don't care uh baz Luhrmann's song always wear sunscreen i don't know if you've ever heard it from the 90s amazing um there's a great line in that yeah it's really good it's, it's originally from a 
a really, okay, I think it's from a New York Times article or something is where he actually took most of it from. Um, but there's that line about that, uh, keeping in touch with the people you meet in your college, in your high school years or your college years, I think he says, because they're the, people, they're the friends you're probably going to have for life. I know we've talked about this before, like the older men get in particular, or maybe it was in your, I don't, I, what's so weird, Kev, actually, a bit of a segue here. Mm. I've listened to so many of your podcasts lately that I'm like, did I have that conversation with Kev? <laughs> Or did I just fucking hear it on the, on fucking Spotify? I'm just like, that's so bizarre. Um, but the idea is that like it is harder for, for men in particular to make newer friends as they get older. And so you the people you knew in your past are the ones you kind of stay in touch with more so. Um, but like, yeah, it's, it's tough as well, though, because like, you know, the world is so, we're so good at being connected now. And it's weird, like since COVID and quarantine happened and stuff like that, now I can't even go home. So now... It's not homesickness I have right now. It's every now and then I go, fuck, what if something actually does happen? Like, what if my one of my parents got sick with, with COVID nineteen? Like I've absolutely I'm sure every other uh, Irish person who who's around the world right now has had that thought as well. Like I physically might not be able to go home. Mm-hmm. And that'd be that would be very, very scary. And I, that, and that's the thing then suddenly that's uh that's a timestamp now in your life. Like, you know, you maybe you, you you maybe you lose a friend or family member and you're not at home because you've made the decision a few years ago to go move to a different country. So that can be very tough. Um, but as well, you know, I'm 31 now as well. You kind of have to go out and do your own thing as well at some point. you got to leave the nest or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's tough. What did you, like when you kind of got that little pang of, of homesickness, did you do anything to remedy it? Or did you just kind of let it run its course? And um, I called home. And I was saying to my mother that I wanted to come home. I, funnily enough, she, because um, because of coronavirus, the Lapturg thing is shut down. And during the week, she was like, oh, no, no, I'm, do, I'm doing something this weekend now. It's, it's very important. So, you know, I won't have any time. And I was like, OK, yeah, um, I'll see you at the end of the month. She's doing the Lapturg pilgrimage in the house for the next three days. So I think I think my dad left for the golf course at about six o'clock in the morning Saturday and he's just camping out. So it's uh, it's all kicking off in Limerick City. <laughs> <laughs> so funny man. I, I will say it's weird as well though man, like you I, I miss very particular Limerick things as well. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Like I miss like this sounds so lame, but when I went back home visiting the last time, I hadn't been in that shop up near where most of the lads live, Trisha's, whatever it was called, and you know, it still exists anymore. Um, maybe it was a couple of times I was back, actually, or a few times ago. I remember going in there, and the smell of the shop, I just, I was like, suddenly I was 17 or 16 again. I was like, holy shit. It's like, I haven't been in the shop forever. And like, even subtle differences like that, yeah, the effect they have on you. Like. Smell's a weird thing. Smell can bring you back to a place very, very specifically. Like, um, there's like a certain... There's a certain aftershave. I think it was called Jupe, and it was in a pink bottle. And remember that? that? Like, yeah, yeah. My brother that, used to wear that. Yeah, yeah, that was like that was like the the young man aftershave. It was like it was before you properly needed to shave. So it was like sixteen, maybe just starting to go out into town in the next year or so, going to like junior discos, probably finishing that age, trying to impress the women. But Jupe, I don't know if I've smelt it in the last couple of years, but whenever I smelt it straight away off somebody it would just bring me back to a teenage a teenage kev a teenage mindset there's something about specific specific smells and jupe is the one that always comes to mind for me like <laughs> actually amazing my brother literally wore that all the time jupe as well was one of those things where it was very metrosexual for the time like for for a time when a lot well, of lads would be, be a little bit scared of any sort of like uh maybe ambiguity about their sexuality it's like oh no 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 no, no. You know, it's, it's all good it's all good it's like we a lot of men were wearing something that you could basically say was effeminate. But I think if one influencer pre social media wore it, if one cool lad wore it, then it was okay because nobody was going to shit on the cool lad. Once a cool lad was wearing something that smelled deliciously feminine, I was like, yeah, fuck it, I'll get a bottle of that. If you were in PE class getting changed afterwards and you saw it in his gear bag, you'd be like, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'll go. I'll go back wearing that again. It's totally all right. Or do, do you want the one that reminds me? The one that reminds me of Irish locker rooms more than anything else uh, is Lynx, right? Um, remember, you know, Lynx like Lynx Africa, Lynx chocolate, or whatever. It's called Axe over here, right? Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know why. It's really bizarre. The exact same company, exact same brand. It's called A X E. 
but everyone uses it here. So it's so weird. Like in, in Ireland, you can, I think you kind of maybe, maybe you don't, but in Ireland, you kind of stopped using links when you kind of, you're hitting 30 and you're like, Jesus, well, let's get my, have my man stop buying me those. Yeah, those yeah. The twin, the twin packs. <laughs> the other, <laughs> twin packs, yeah, yeah. That last about four years. Like, um, But over here, everyone uses it. So every now and then I'd just be walking, like I'd be coming out of like a gym or whatever or some of that and you just get a pang of it and you're like, oh my God, that, 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 that's links chocolate. <laughs> I, know, I know that smell. <laughs> so bizarre like so bizarre oh, yeah man no it's but like man you know i think it's again like homesickness is it, it, it's bad but there's some good things about it as well like yeah it sounds a bit odd but i love catching up with people because you always have a bunch to talk about like when i skype my parents they're always minimum two hour sessions like there's always just a rake of things that they want to talk about um and then every time i talk to you as well whether we record it or not it's always a rake of things to talk about too but the one thing last thing i say in it is it's weird to see people get older yeah and, and actually really really realize it so a lot of people i'd skype or talk to you know it's obviously very periodical it's not like kind of weekly it's not like in a regular uh, cadence or that but you see people like visibly get older you know what i mean like you pointed out when, we, when i logged on oh you shaved like i shaved my head as well i look completely different than i did you know a month ago as i said i forgot how handsome you are <laughs> thanks i appreciate that i appreciate you uh, speaking so creepily into the <laughs> mic there very very close um but uh it's weird man like to to skype people like i skype a cousin or a, a guru i guess it was a couple of years ago actually you know and i hadn't talked to them in almost five years completely different looking person um so it, it really the passage of time becomes very apparent to you when you yeah. when you live away from home it waits for nobody like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I suppose ending on a more positive topic, have you any like travel plans, holiday plans for the rest of the year? Because a lot of people have kind of built up time and haven't been able to take holidays. Have you any like exciting plans? We, if we have one, which maybe this isn't that well, it is a positive note. We, we were supposed to go on a cruise just before COVID happened. We had it paid for, we were good to go and everything. Um, we have a, cr- a credit for the cruise, and now it's just like every day it's a debate. Like it's the cruise is supposed to go to Mexico, Belize, and um, I think Honduras or something like that. Um, and so via Wuhan, yeah, via, via Wuhan. <laughs> Can you fucking imagine, Jesus <laughs> Christ? Um, but like, to, like we're like I don't know. The cruise is every like they're just basically a floating petri dish pool of disease. Yeah, exact feature this, exactly very well said. So I don't know. Uh, the other thing we were thinking of is uh, we have some friends visiting us uh, next month, and they want to do like a bit of a, a driving thing, like go to this city or that city. And we were thinking we might actually do a bit of a proper road trip uh, in Canada. Uh, we might do like a proper just at the end of summer, like drive up towards Quebec City, keep going, like head towards the west coast, and like try and hit as many small towns as we can along the way, Sweet. and just kind of. Just take like two, three weeks off and go, right, we're just going to drive. Yeah, explore the country that you've set down routes in. Like. Exactly, exactly. And so we're, we're thinking about doing something like that. Uh, Stephanie did it years ago where she drove to Winnipeg. And it took her 11 days. That's how big Canada is. 11 days of nonstop driving. She loves it though. So we're thinking of doing that, but yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. What, what about you? Anything you've got? Anything come up to come back over here to visit me again? <laughs> I just heard that. Just at the end, yeah, just a little, little hint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, after I come back from Ottawa, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, like I suppose for me, for the rest of the year, the idea of leaving the country is kind of, I'm just kind of putting that aside. And I had different kind of plans that I wanted to do outside the country, but I've kind of just accepted that, fuck it, that those places will be there next year and it'll be a better time next year. So what I've planned is end of july um i'm going down to cork and kerry and doing a bit of camping there for a week stopping off in limerick uh for the weekend and then up to connemara donegal for the same thing um myself and my girlfriend and then nigel and his girlfriend as well so good old nigel from the original podcast it'll be good crap. Yeah. the original original carl <laughs> uh i man i am i'm very jealous that's like a few years ago, when we came back to Ireland for a Christmas trip. We actually booked an extra week, and we did. I think we did Cork, the Dublin Cork. Yeah, see, yeah, we met you in Dublin, sure. Um, uh, but 
And there's so many areas of Ireland I haven't explored that are absolutely unbelievable. Cork is one of my favorite places in the world. Galway is incredible. Connemara, there's the amount of hiking and the camping you could do there would be unbelievable. Oh man, very, I'm very jealous. Man. What I found as well is like, I, like let's say you know when you rewatch a great movie with somebody who's seen it for the first time, you experience their joy in a weird way. Like it, it's just it's such a like. I I would rarely rewatch a film by myself, but I will. I love to rewatch my favorite movies with people just to see what their experience of it is. And it's kind of similar to traveling Ireland. I've been to certain places, but going there with somebody who hasn't seen it will kind of hopefully recapture that joy, if that makes sense. Hundred percent, hundred percent does because, uh, like, whenever I bring Steph back places, like I love to watch her kind of experience, like Bun Ready, you know, Bun Ready Castle. I loved to, watching her disappointment uh, when I brought her to the Hunt Museum, and she was like, "Oh, this is it." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> big stuff, bit more in my mind. Um, but uh, yeah, I totally, totally get you saying that. Man, I'm conscious of time as well, and I know that you've you've got something to do. But man, an absolute pleasure catching up again. Like it's it's been so good, and like let's let's do one within the next month again. Hundred percent, man. I love doing these. It's good talk. I could probably talk all day. Like yeah. Know. To be honest, so, next yeah. time as well next time as well because i have to apologize i i'm get, I, I was so lazy about planning it because like when you text me and you were like oh i have stuff to do today i was like oh, fuck why didn't i even ask that i was like oh shit <laughs> I, was, I was just kind of scurrying around just arsing around but uh no. it's not it's not at all it's like it's just this uh, this car issue we have so it's just like boring uh boring stuff man i'll always make time for it like because they're, they're such good fun like all right man thanks a million peace